0: All right, hey everyone! Welcome back to another episode of Demand Gen Chat. I am your host Kaylee Edmondson, and today we are joined with Sydney Sloan, CMO at Salesloft. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having yeah. me. It's great Absolutely. to be here. I loved our pre-chat. This is gonna be fun. Let's start by just setting the stage at Salesloft. You've been there for a few years. What is Salesloft, and what pain are you guys um, solving in the market? So
1: Salesloft uh, started out as a platform for SDRs to prospect, um, where they were able to organize the accounts they were going after, um, orchestrate all the different channels that you need to use in order to be successful. We know that uh, three or more channels gives you the best results in terms of number of engagement and and certain number of touches over a, a period of time. And so it just really organized all the tasks for SDRs and salespeople to drive prospecting efforts. In the three years that I've been here, we've evolved from just serving the SDRs and sellers for prospecting to also um, record calls, so conversation intelligence. So for coaching capabilities, for taking snippets of your calls with your um, with your customers and, and using them in your sales cycles. And then last year we introduced a product called Deals, which allows you to do a better job of managing your opportunities. Kind of think of when sales managers are meeting with their sales teams going, okay, what's in pipeline? Show me your deals. Like we've we've added that. So we're the most complete sales engagement platform in the market right now, incorporating all those co- capabilities and serving sellers everywhere.
0: And like primary titles are like VPs of sales, VPs of like SDR managers, things of that nature?
1: Yeah, SDR teams, sales teams, inside sales teams. I mean, frankly, you know, COVID, as tough as it was, really did accelerate the whole industry of sales to become digital Mm -hmm. sellers. So we're seeing new companies way outside of our ICP. So it's not just for tech inside sales teams anymore. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, sellers everywhere that are looking for new ways to be able to host conversations with their customers to be able to communicate to them effectively. And then we're unique in that we cover that whole span. So we're able to capture that data and give a lot of insights into Teams. It's like where you should be focusing your effort. What deals are at risk? Um, who are you maybe not contacting yet with an account that's a primary buyer type? So we're able to provide a lot more of those insights because we're capturing every interaction between from prospecting to all the way of customer lifetime around that account. So just bringing that much more information to the sales teams about the interactions between the customers and their teams.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. And so you've been there since 2018. And obviously three years this is my three-year loft anniversary this month. I know it's crazy. Oh my gosh! Congrats, congrats! Yeah. Thank so you. in three years, you've seen I feel like a lifetime of change at Salesloft. Can you set the stage for what your marketing team looked like when you first joined, um, and what it looks like today? Gosh, it's um, it's evolved so much, and yeah, we've. I think I was employee
1: maybe three hundred or two seventy-five, and we're up to six hundred, and um, just crossing a hundred million in revenue. It's been a crazy, crazy ride. Um, When I started, what I can recall, and I have to really think back, is, um, you know, we had product marketing, we had an events team, um, demand gen, we were running account-based strategies, Um, SDRs were not in our team yet, Um, brand, and we had brand, brand and events was kind of a, a team, so... I think there might have been 16 people on the team at the time, and we were releasing features on a daily basis. So our product marketing team was just trying to keep up with the daily feature release. Um, And we put on really great events. Rainmaker, everybody loved the events, but we weren't really well ingrained into the business at every level. Like, how does marketing lead go to market? How does marketing partner across the business Um, and not just be seen as the fun, you know the fun team that that throws great events, which
0: we still do um, but i I feel like we're a much more strategic partner across the business exactly. It's getting the marketing team more closely aligned with pipeline and revenue um, and that kind of changes the whole perception and, and go to market strategy
1: where where should we go? how should we go? when should we go? yeah.
0: Yeah, ex- absolutely. And so as you guys have grown in terms of revenue and customer base, what are some of the changes that you've made along this timeline um, in terms of go-to-market or in terms of like marketing headcount or marketing sh- team structure so that your team is enabled mm-hmm. to serve the rest of the teams cross-functionally? Yeah. I mean, we've made continuous changes. When you're growing this fast,
1: everybody has to get used to and embrace change. If if <laughs> someone's not good with change, then you know, this may not be the right place because it changes so quickly. It, our joke is like, if you didn't like where your seat was, don't worry, it's going to move. You know, it's going to move in a couple of months. Um, now that's different, but it's also true, really. Um, but um, the, I think the kind of the first changes we made was more of an investment in product marketing and really trying to get um, ahead of the feature, competitive feature release war and like what strategically is right for, based on the market opportunity ahead of us. And that's really what informed us going to a multi-product offering and building products that support the sellers in addition to the SDRs. Um, so that was the first thing. And when you take on more products, you need more product marketing support and the pricing and packaging strategies that created differentiation. And that so that was the first thing. The second um, part was um, we brought, and this happened, um, we'll be, we're about a year and a half ago. We brought the inbound team into marketing and have really invested in streamlining the processes between marketing inbound and converting to opportunities. And what I love about that is that it creates more accountability for us to our portion of the pipeline generation. And so, you know, yes, we're partnering with the product and sales teams on go-to-market. Now we're doing our part in terms of having direct impact on pipeline creation and revenue, where I can say, here's how much marketing sourced, here's how much pipeline we touched, um, which has contributed attribution and influence, Um, And here's how much business closed one in the quarter that was sourced by marketing. And it's a significant portion. So when you can start to point to that, then you can justify incremental investments. And so incremental investments now are doing a lot more in brand building um, as the market gets, you know, it's crazy. It's growing like mad. And they're more competitors than ever. And while we are a leader, we want to maintain that leadership, especially as new people are looking into what they need to um, invest in. And so maintaining that leadership and brand awareness is super important.
0: Yeah. And I think you've hit on something that's super interesting for me. So I'm going to go off script and just ask a follow-up question um, around brand. How do you, as a leader... um, Break out your validation like to your CFO or your board or whoever around how many, what percentage of your marketing dollars are going to go towards performance marketing, things that are typically much more trackable versus things that are going to go towards brand, which we all know is super important and viable for your business, but is more long tail in terms of return versus some of those performance marketing tactics, like what's your rationale um, or your validation? Or is it just more of like a you have to trust me? I know this is right um not there's i mean credibility over the three years that's been built
1: up with my ceo and the team and finance in that we invest wisely and so Mm -hmm. you know that that's just a track record of over time that we built out that we we don't spend foolishly you know we we show return on investment we always are my my goal is to always be one percent over my budget like i want us to spend just a little bit more so we really do you know try and drive as much Awareness and demand as possible, given the budgets that we have, um, and we've track on that. Like, you know, I'm somebody that balances. You know, I only have one credit card; I pay it off every month. You know, I think you can look at, you know, like how well people manage their personal funds, because that's how I think about the company's um, investment in marketing. Uh, so, to answer the question specifically about brand versus demand, center, demand spend or performance marketing. Um, once once we got the metrics and kind of infrastructure proven as to um, being able to convert investments to to pipeline um, looking at that and saying i'm going to go invest this much in brand it's first of all it's time we're a different company and um, we need to show up differently in the market than the company we were over the last 10 years the company's 10 years old and um and so we you know we need to be the company of the future that's global that's trusted and, um, and so how, um, you know, where do we wanna show up and how do we wanna show up? And so that's one part. The second part is, you know, I think there's a couple other companies out there that are doing a really good job in brand and our company can see that. And, mm-hmm. and so you see the conversion ratios, the awareness of these other companies that are doing a good job. Um, and so, you, you know, give a shout out to competitors that are that are doing a good job and like we need to continue to compete there and not just rely on what we've always been known for. Um, and so changing brand perception and market perception is an investment and it's not a call to action of click. It's a call to action of awareness. And so that's how, how we measure that is in our reach. So what number of impressions are we driving? How do we see organic increasing on the website traffic um, and and then look at down the line, the, it should be an expected decrease in demand gen conversion um, when the brand perception goes up. And, and we also measure share of voice and everything like that. So um, that's what we're expecting. And, you know, we'll turn on a little bit and if it works, we'll turn on a little bit more and, and just continue mm-hmm. to uh, fuel as we see value come through it. Yeah,
0: no, that's wonderful. And then, does that make sense too? Like,
1: I know I, I, I tend to long wind answer and I'm in my brain. So, hopefully, that makes sense as I share that.
0: Yeah, no, I think it totally does. And it's, for me, it's just always a very, um, it's very topical um, and I feel like I talk about it a ton in my own like personal network of friends that are kind of doing the same effort um, around a go-to-market role or a demand gen role within their orgs um, and for me personally, let me share a little bit about myself, but I, um, I have a background in pure performance marketing, um, so I have just always been the numbers gal and I always like to tie everything back very attributable to revenue or to pipeline. Um, and so it's a little bit harder. It's more of a feeling, right? It's more of a feeling for brand motions. It's very different for me, um, to think about how to prove value with brand money versus performance marketing money. Um, and it's just something that's like less two plus two equals four, right. It's kind of how I yeah. have my, uh, my marketing career has gone at least. And so, Brand dollars and brand spin is a new motion for me personally, Um, and it's less, it's just less trackable, right? And obviously that's the world we're moving into with this post-cookie world anyways is a less trackable world, so I feel like. Uh, taking off the training wheels and moving with like a brand play is obviously pivotal and important um, for us, like building a performance marketing foundation came first. Um, and so now, like as we start to evolve into more of a brand play, it's just interesting to see how others perceive it. And then especially how you have those internal marketing communications with your own marketing team, but your sales org, your CFO, your CEO, etc. cetera, um, because I think everybody... Everybody moves about it quite differently. Um, so, like, if you have the dollars to do these larger studies um, around share a voice and audience perception and all of those things, and it's you know that's a thing that you have to point back to to say yes, um, this this is working. These dollars we're spending are moving the needle. But if you're trying to ease into brand marketing and don't have enough money to like you know invest in a large study or a research firm or whatever it is to kind of prove that the dollars are a little bit harder to drive to revenue right yeah i think the question is at what
1: point in time does it make sense
0: to invest right. in
1: brand and 3 years ago when i got here i felt like it was a brand play uh, we we weren't mm-hmm. differentiated and then it was like this market's going to go fast so we we do need to make mm. it a brand play and so of course thought leadership is you know paramount to brand and um and 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 so you can play that part. I think the other thing that you can do is you can pick a channel. So maybe not investing in all channels, but what is the primary channel that your your audience lives in? And so for us, that's LinkedIn. And so, you know, could we double down on LinkedIn and then maybe not do other investments in other areas? We held back a long time in doing display and retargeting and all of that. Um, it, it just financially, was like, you know, we're just going to double down in, in LinkedIn and try and really build our presence there. Um, and I think too, um, I mean, it's just, you, you got to take each step, right? Like mm-hmm. building brand and lots of brand awareness if you don't have, if you have a leaky bucket or you don't have your process in place yeah. of how you're going to convert leads, you know, like you got to fix that before you put more water in, in the top of the funnel or leads in the top of the funnel. And so, you know, you just kind of have to step into it, I think. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm lucky that I, you know, lucky by by design, built a really strong relationship with our finance team and built out a business case that made sense. We, we treated it, it, was kind of fun. We treated it like a um, shark tank. We came in and I was gonna like, say, we yeah. want this level I... of investment for, you know, return of this. And we had all the data to back it up. And so while it's a brand investment, I'm confident that we'll be able to return what we said we were going to be able to and probably even more
0: um, Mm -hmm. just
1: based on the history that we have in our advertising spend. Um, And like I said, like, you know, if it's working, we'll continue to invest more and more. it works. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And I like your, I like your motion of spending 1% more on budget too. I think that's a good takeaway. I've just never heard anyone say it, but I really like it. Talk a little bit more about your business model. You'll have a double funnel business model, correct? We do. So when we um, segmented
1: our sales teams into enterprise and commercial, that changed the way that we were thinking about supporting the sales organization so i'd like to like line up our teams with sales like here's the marketing team that's going to support the enterprise team and here's the marketing motions that are going to support commercial so commercial is primarily where our inbound um comes in and so that is how much automation can we get and predictable lead volume or predictable opportunity volume, because it's not about leads, we don't actually track leads, we just track opportunities created. Um, And so you know, how can we get that predictable, so the team can count on it, to the point where the head of commercial in a meeting with the sales leadership last week, when he got asked the question, where would you invest more, he said, in marketing, like that's music to my ears.
0: That's powerful, Um,
1: because that means that he's counting on us, right, he's counting on us, and we're able to deliver for him. So fantastic. On the so that that's a traditional funnel model Mm -hmm. and and so it's like what are we putting in how are the conversions running how do we increase conversions what's the velocity all of that with enterprise we're running an account-based strategy so it's completely different we have our top 150 global accounts we have account like our field marketers are now called enterprise marketers which is really account-based marketing and they line up to um the sales teams and we run You know, for tier ones, we run customized programs and, you know, running out of running custom ads. Um, And I think the thing that's still a little bit different is, you know, leveraging the intent data in the account based platform. So it's like, yes, we're working proactively the tier one accounts. And then how do we still also manage opportunistically? the Mm -hmm. enterprises that are showing intent um, and still action on those. So there's still a little fluidity there, which is really interesting to see because we have that much transparency available to us now. So it's like, yeah, we've got 150 accounts, but these accounts are surging. So we got to work on those too. Um, Mm -hmm. And then just getting our ratios right with managing the SDRs and working with the SDR teams on target accounts, and then also doing account-based programs in COVID world, which has its own challenges so it's you know yeah. it's a different world and it's a different motion and it's a different reporting structure and it's a different funnel and um different
0: technology so that's what i was gonna say is your tech um, stack so different they run to separately. support your enterprise yeah. motion yeah it's different yeah. and can you talk a little bit about how you've combated this uh, go-to-market motion for abm in covid because it's definitely different than Obviously, ABM is also defined different. Maybe we should start. ABM is defined different depending on who you talk to, too. So do you want to give your quick like 30 second spiel on how you guys interpret ABM? Yeah, I mean, I
1: think account based is a reflection of go to market strategy. So, um, you know, we work and we bring data to the table to the sales leaders and collaborate on what it means to be a tier one account. Who should be on the list? We, We refresh it quarterly. Um, and, the, and we bring all the data, it's like, you know, here's what fit, technographic, like engagement, all the, all the things. And, and then we go through the list together and like, okay, this is the account list we're working after and some have already converted. And so um, basically we have the prospect account list, then we have our customers who are also tier one accounts that we wanna continue to invest in. And we, I mean, we moved more to digital to start Right. And just Mm -hmm. doing more custom ads and making sure that we're warming up the accounts first Um, and then getting creative with programs, go live events um, and, Mm -hmm. you know, making sure that we celebrate with the the customer because they're not in office either. So how can we create opportunities for customers to get together and celebrate? Lots of, you know, lots of wine tastings, lots of cooking classes. Um, we've done golf, like uh, VIP things with famous nice. people um, around the master's program and bringing in tier one accounts to those. Because of course, what you, what you want, you want to have these events, you want to have some customers and some prospects and you want to sit back and let them talk. So the more mm-hmm. opportunities that we can create to create that environment, um, we will do. It's a little bit yeah. different too. We also have um, our EMEA team, and so we run a, a even a different program in EMEA because it's it's still so new over there. Um, and so, really, we have three different strategies and three different sales teams that we're supporting in
0: different ways. And as a result, your marketing team is structured in those three different tiers as well.
1: Yeah. Yep. So there's nice. like our demand. Gen, there's a demand gen team that's really just looking at the um, partnering with. Um, on inbound and partnering with the sales teams, and then there's a dedicated enterprise marketing team, and then there's a MIA leader as well. So those three separate groups.
0: Interesting, okay. I'm just super, I'm I'm always very interested to see how you've scaled and then as a result, how those tiers are functioning within marketing. And of course, if you guys have really like three tiers that you're trying to support, like how does that breakdown look? Um, But then like all of that has to roll back up to you. So like, how are you managing your time and your day and like making sure that everybody's getting the support they need is just super interesting to me. I think too, it's
1: like what's interesting personally to me, right? Like I want to be involved in customer activities. And so running the cab and being the executive sponsor of our cab program that our customer marketing team facilitates is super important. Now I have these firsthand conversations and relationships with our most important customers. That's that's important to me um, to be able to facilitate that Um, as well as references and customer stories. I mean, I really do believe that, um, uh, you know, being a head of marketing means you're also the, you know, head of, head of customers. Um, and so have the, having those insights and stories is super important. And then partnering with a customer success team because we know in SaaS like that growth and, and retention is so important. So that puts us in line with that part of the business. Product marketing exactly. keeps us in alignment with sales enablement and product, right? Like that in, intersection between that. Um, and now we've actually got a, a part of our product marketing team that's supporting our post sales experience because that's also part of, of growth um, and and helping you know trademark and brand certain methodologies and and that will help us scale. Um, and then
0: you know maybe I'm a marketing nerd and geek too. What does your alignment look like, though, between you and your customer success leader? Um, Because I feel like that is not often talked about, right? Everybody talks about marketing and sales alignment, um, but hardly anyone talks about marketing and customer success alignment. Um, And I think that's a very important point for us to highlight for listeners. Yeah, so we have a chief revenue officer who has um, sales and customer success. So my
1: primary alignment is with him. But the gentleman that's running customer success, and now uh, another lady, as we, we continue to segment out as the company grows, like I have I have calls with them. I have a biweekly call with the head of customer success, and and then my customer marketer is aligned with um, the the customer success team on programs. Um, but I mean, I still talk to her all the time. I go to churn meetings, like you know, wherever I can help in the business, I'm happy to. Um, and I, you know, I think when you do the TAM analysis of adding new products to the portfolio, and then it's like, well, how many sellers are still in accounts that we don't have? Like, There's just so much room still mm-hmm. in, our cust- in our customer base. Um, so we have to make them wild. So I have a mantra that I love um, as it relates to customers, which is smart, happy customers buy more. And I've used that since I ran customer marketing two companies ago. And the idea is that once they become customers, you don't you stop selling to them. You just need to educate them. It's all about learning. And so first you have to learn and then you have to make sure they're happy. So you have to look at their adoption statistics and NPS and all those things, like which we do in voice of the customer programs. And then they will buy more. You can't go at like, hey, customer, I've had this happen to me. Hey, it's the end of my quarter. Do you want to buy something else? I'm like, are you? No, (laughs) like, no, I don't. I'll let you know when I want to buy something else. But you know that hope and a dream like, oh, maybe they'll just buy more because it's my end of quarter and I can make you a deal like that doesn't work. So we have to change the way that we communicate to customers. It's all about education. It's all about education, frankly, the whole time. but, But you have to talk to them differently and you have to do different programs just for customers.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. And I think too, like rolling um, customer marketing, obviously, in and then creating that alignment that, you know, just closing the loop quickly, the feedback loop, I think, is what gets lost sometimes um, so that everybody that's on the front lines within customer success, your CSMs, your even your support that are getting that immediate feedback can close the loop quickly back over to your team. Um, for programs, future programs, learnings on programs that are running right now, et cetera. Um, I think it's just an interesting thing to highlight. I I don't hear people talk about it often, so it's interesting that you guys are already thinking about it and have a a great framework.
1: So we have three people in customer marketing, which, you know, for the company our size, but they run the cab, they run a reference program, they do customer stories, our user groups, like they're busy and
0: yeah. Shout out, (laughs) shout out to that team. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's super interesting. I I just love hearing like how, how you've set all that up internally. Um, And then especially like supporting this double funnel, eh, kind of having a commercial side and an enterprise side. You said that happened like a year ago or so? year and a half, I
1: want to say. So we, we segmented, it's going to be, well, it's a year and a half. Yeah, we created an enterprise sales team and a commercial sales team. And when that happened, we we lined up marketing to support those, and at that, that was the point that it made sense to start a double funnel. So we report differently. Beautiful. We have different dashboards for each one, um, you know, because everything about it is different, right? The the mm-hmm. um, the velocity of a deal in commercial is much quicker than a velocity. The coverage ratios of pipeline are different, like the. The go-to-market motion is more outbound versus inbound, even though we do have inbounds that come for enterprise. It's not the primary motion. So mm-hmm. partnering with those sales leaders and setting up the programs and relationships is completely different.
0: Yeah, and as you're starting to do that initial research to you know kind of chisel away at this wheel that you're creating, what were some of your first, like, low-hanging fruit actions that you knew you needed to do in partnering with the sales team to figure out what that go-to-market needed to look like. like. Where are these people hanging out? What do they respond to? What do they not respond to? Like, I feel like the differences would be pretty absolute between the commercial business that you were already running versus trying to figure out how to go to market for an enterprise motion.
1: Um, so the the low hanging fruit that we did and we we already were running account based, but we were running it at a very not like hundred and fifty accounts. So the first thing that we did was we ran a um, tier one account project and so mm-hmm. partnering with the sales leaders, their leaders on two things. one was how, what is our account selection criteria? We refreshed it we had. Tier one, we've been talking account based for a long time, but it included a lot of our commercial accounts. And so we relooked at it as mm-hmm. it related to enterprise. And then we um, we took the customer journey and we said, what is the responsibility and kind of service level agreements from each team as the customer moves through their journey that they should expect? So what is marketing do for Tier one accounts? And so it changed like, you know, here's how here's the things we account planning support um, our one-to-one ads and investing more in tier one accounts than other accounts in terms of ad frequency um Mm -hmm. different things and investments that we would give the sdr team to be able to do so spending more on door opener programs than we give to the um the commercial team for instance so just spending a lot more one-on-one time like thinking through of like creative ways to break through to these accounts as well um, that, that's kind of the SLA that marketing did. And then sales said, okay, here's the sales experience we're gonna give them. They're gonna get a different level. I'm not gonna say all the things because I don't wanna give away our secrets, but they're gonna get a different sales experience in terms of all the interactions that the sales teams will go through. So it's a different sales process. It has more mm-hmm. to do because frankly, in the commercial, they don't have time. They don't need to. Like They can skip these three steps because the the velocity and the the deal is just so much faster and there's less people involved. And then we have, what does it mean to be a a tier one account post one? And so we created the agreement of that. And so there's lots of things that our tier one accounts will get in terms of um, direct Account owner assignments, uh, strategic account services, special—you know—it's like being a diamond member on Delta. You know, <laughs> like a special phone number to call. Like you know, um, uh, they—you know—they get m- one of our favorite uh, packages is. Kyle, our CEO, has a tangerine farm in Orlando, or sorry, just outside of Orlando where he lives. And so we, we send oranges to everybody during orange season that's on the tier one account list. So they get extra special things from us as being part of our, our family no way that's so funny oh yeah and blueberries um, so there's orange sea- there's tangerines which are really good um and because i you know i had to be the test for the mailing to make sure it looked okay juicy crunch of course. and then and then they did blueberries in in april and of course i had to you know bake the example of the recipe that we gave but i mean those i mean those things matter right like it's we we want our customer to feel like they're part of the sales law family and so you know mm-hmm. we we try to make it personal
0: Yeah, and I don't know how much more personal you can get than from your CEO's backyard. Blueberries from his farm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, I love that. Okay, last question. What are some plays that are in motion right now or that you have currently played um, that are really moving the needle for your business?
1: I think the thing that we've done the best this year is really working with our sales teams on the cross-sell, upsell programs to our existing accounts. Um, and a little bit of it had to do with changing the compensation models that made it more of an incentive for Mm -hmm. the um, account managers to do that and, and staying in the account longer, which I think was a really good call. You want to eliminate as many handoffs as you possibly can and continue to grow those relationships. And frankly, the, our customers rely on them for advice. So I think, you know, that wasn't necessarily a marketing move. It was a marketing support, um, Mm -hmm. in, in doing that, but I think, you know, Making sure that you've removed all the barriers to allow it still to be the right investment of the seller's time um, mm-hmm. to continue to work with the accounts was the biggest impact. Uh, that, and then I don't know, I you know, I wish I could tell you what happened, but like our inbound is going off the chart, and I think that's just a, a mat a matter of the market right the market is just growing so fast and there's so many players and as long as we maintain our number one position as the most loved brand in sales engagement then we're going to get those inbounds when people think of oh i need something like this and so continuing our investments in brand and being sure that we're you know getting the G2 crowd reviews that where our customers say how much they like working with us and how we're making them successful and continue to be number one there like that gets that gets the inbound and so we're just going to keep doing that Making sure our customers are successful, giving the opportunity to tell others, and then hopefully more people will come to us.
0: Exactly, word of mouth is the most powerful thing and the most untrackable thing. So that's just part of the game, right? You can do a referral, Um, you can do a referring link when I buy it's normally like hey let me text my group of buddies and say like hey this is our problem what are you using and they text me back whatever it is and great then I'm on their website and I'm buying their product so um, yeah like referrals it, are great right too they do it, help word of mouth is most we, we just we just hired a new uh, performance marketing
1: agency and I was asking uh, the guy that was leading Michael the guy that was leading the effort I'm like so how did we find them and he's like I went under G2 they were the number one ranked." and I'm like well there you go <laughs> exactly <laughs> practice what <Exactly>. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah 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 exactly it's really hard for me sometimes but like yeah getting out of marketing mode and just going into buyer mode like how do I buy software I normally always buy it from my friends so it just goes to say that like yeah, um, same and I'm in many slack groups and the tech
1: conversation is usually the most lively
0: (laughs) exactly it's like the most yeah the the most hopping channel that they have so same Um, okay last question for real for real who is another marketer that you're following in the space that listeners can go follow read their book listen to etc you know John Miller uh, it just released his
1: new um guide i read it this weekend it's like 230 pages it's super fast um you know and i've been doing account base for years and i have to give a shout out to that book that um it was really comprehensive and i i think i took two pages of notes like at yeah. mention team like you know look at this look at that so i you know i've i've followed john for a long time you know i'm 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 fans of demand base and fans of Sixth sense like I, I i know i need to put them in the same breath like many have to do with uh, us and our competitor um, but i that's the most recent thing that's my weekend
0: read was his book and i thought it was great Awesome. Okay, cool. We'll link to that in the show notes for anybody that's listening. And then quick plug, Sydney, for people that want to follow you, where can they follow you? I'm on LinkedIn. So at Sid
1: Sloan at LinkedIn, um, that's, I, I, you're probably more
0: likely to get a response off a LinkedIn email than an email directly sent to me. So
1: <laughs> that's the best place to get me.
0: Perfect. Okay. And for anybody that enjoyed this, please leave us a review. It is super helpful and we appreciate it. And we'll see you next time.